to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hey, everybody. So today we're going to be continuing our ongoing series where we dive deep into the EDH rec data to learn more about the format, how people are building decks, and what opportunities for new commanders might exist that, that could potentially create new archetypes. So I just want to give you guys a little bit of context about some of the things we're talking about. EDHREC is a website that aggregates deck lists from a couple of sources. It gets decks from MTG Goldfish and deck stats. So people who post their commander decks are added to those databases, and then EDHREC pulls that in order to generate stats about the format. So a lot of what EDHREC does is determines what the relationships are between different cards and different commanders. And one of the most interesting features is the signature cards. So the signature cards for each commander are the cards that are uniquely associated with that commander. For example, like Eternal Witness would not be a signature card because it's just kind of good stuff. It's It fits into a lot of decks. But something like Sage of Hours in an Azuri Claw of Progress deck, that would be a signature card because very few decks are going to want that except for Azuri in which it's very good. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the signature cards because to us that's a good indicator of whether a deck is a a unique archetype in the format or if it's more like good stuff where the commander is kind of interchangeable. If a deck has very few signature cards then you could probably very easily swap out the commander without really affecting it and that's something we're less interested in. The ethos of commander theory is kind of like an interest in creating as many unique archetypes as possible so that people who are interested in Commander can jump between many different decks and get a lot of different experiences throughout their time in the Commander format. So Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of context on this deep dive that we're doing, and today we are going to be looking at the five Ravnica Allegiant color identities, those two-color pairs. Last time we did the Guilds of Ravnica, and now we're moving on to the next batch. Okay, so we're going to start with the Azorius color pair, blue-white. The most popular commander by a fair margin in blue-white is Brago King Eternal. So he comes in at 2,200 decks. He's definitely his own archetype. He has a lot of signature cards. He's the the best commander for blue-white blink. So signature cards include things like Reality Acid. Stronic Resonator is notable for being part of a combo with Brago. If you have a non-land permanent that taps for two or more mana, then you can tap that permanent, tap Stronic Resonator, continually copy his trigger in order to keep blinking your permanents and get as many blinks and potentially as much mana as you like. There's also Basalt Monolith, which, of course, works well with Brago. Yeah. <laughs> Peregrine Drake, Panharmonicon, Reflector Mage, Moldrifter. A lot of ETB triggers and things that work well with ETB triggers, essentially. Yeah, it's interesting. So we kind of noted before, but that there's a price barrier on EDH rec. Mm-hmm. Um, because Basalt Monolith, obviously, is very good with this. But at the same time, like Grim Monolith is also very or or mana vault mana vault yeah like that but these cards tend to be a little bit more expensive like money wise so we don't end up seeing them on like this kind of aggregate system we'll discuss them as they come up but there are definitely limitations to the data and with edh rec decklist data like so, some of the time 
the most common way that people are building a deck is not the optimal build yeah for factors such as money as you mentioned also like the social nature of the format yeah. you're gonna see less mass land destruction than is probably correct to run yeah also in some cases just knowledge if the majority of the the people building a deck are doing it like sometimes there are just memes that people latch on to yes. when building around a certain commander so for example like last time we talked about lazav demir mastermind and how a lot of people were building him shapeshifter tribal even though his mechanics yeah. didn't really support that just they saw the type line and were like oh yeah yeah and and some ideas get popularized Another bias in this data is that the way it handles newer cards is it looks at the denominator of decks that have been added since that card was released. So if a card was released in the very last set, there might be, say, 50 new decks, and it only has to be represented in 25 of those in order mm -hmm. to show up in the, the signature cards because it's in 50% of the decks it could have showed up in, Yeah. even though if there are you know over 2,000 decks in total. So those are things to, to keep aware of. We might notice more as we go through the data, but there's definitely limitations. Yeah, with Brago in particular, that those don't tend to come up. Like the obviously price point is something that came up here, but for the most part, these are all pretty agreeable. Although, like one could argue that mass land destruction is probably <laughs> pretty good in Brago because he runs yeah. so many mana rocks, and like he can just sort of play through. Yeah. Mana denial. Yeah, when you're attacking over everyone without any lands and you're still getting, yeah. Definitely. And you're untapping your Basalt Monolith. Yeah. Yada. Yeah. Not so much as other color identities, but it drops off pretty severely after Brago mm -hmm. in the uh, number of decks. Yeah, Brago, uh, just to remind you, is 2,200 decks. The next commander is Grand Arbiter Augustine the Fourth, with just over 1,100 decks. Yeah, so about half as many, and also, uh, why are you doing this? Uh -huh, <laughs> why are you uh -huh. playing this guy? Grand Arbiter has a lot of a lot of signature cards, and the way people tend to build him, which I thought was kind of interesting, is yeah. there's a fair amount of Pillow Fort. <laughs> I mean, there is some Mana Denial stuff, which is what he tends to be known for. There's things like Spelteth Enforcer, and uh, Ristic Study, Thalia Heretic Cathar, but... Again, you'll also see, like, within the top three, Propaganda and Ghostly Prison. Yeah, like um, top, top two and three signature cards. So Grand Arbiter, I'm, I'm surprised that we're not seeing more aggressive mana denial yeah. in the signature cards. Yeah, I also agree. I think it's pretty interesting that that is the case. Even things that aren't necessarily... Like, land destruction, mana denial. Like, there's a lot... Like, Winter Orb isn't here. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, well, I guess that's technically... You could kind of count it in the same camp, but... You don't have to literally destroy lands to deny mana to people, and it's interesting that those cards aren't kind of represented here. I know. You'd think that, like, if you're starting with, I want to play Grand Arbiter Augustine then you'd think that like people yes. would be more willing to go the whole nine yards. Yeah, all the way. I think maybe it's just people don't understand how mean he can be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I've definitely played through a game that was uh, turn one Soul Ring, turn two Grand Arbiter, turn three World Slayer, or the... the World Queller. World Queller. And, uh, yeah, what card type did he name? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you uh, two guesses. Um, 
and that was not not the most fun mm-hmm. of games to play through and but it was good and he won it was like a six player game <laughs> on like turn two basically so there's a lot of power here um if you choose to like do that but it's it's in this pillow fort is definitely not exactly what i thought i was gonna see when i originally clicked on him yeah i don't know if this is the right way to build him i don't have a, i mean i don't have a whole lot of experience playing with grand arbiter augustine or or against it for that matter but um yeah this seems like like the kid gloves are on yeah the kid gloves are definitely on when you look at the even like the top cards and like top creatures and stuff like that it's just a lot of like white blue value which is probably why people wanted to build him Mm -hmm. but at the same time we're gonna go through a lot of commanders that could have done that in a very similar way so it's very strange that he was that people aren't leaning on what makes him unique yeah exactly i don't know maybe they just wanted the your spells cost one less not sure what people wanted out of things (laughs) number three if we can get into that sure is uh bruna light of alabaster who is coming in at 898 decks Bruna has been pretty popular since she came out. I know a lot of people built her initially when she first came out, mm-hmm. and then kind of the hype died down. <laughs> I think people just really liked that cycle of angels. Yeah, the the Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her deck is, if you can guess, a bunch of auras. <laughs> Signature cards. There's three non-aura cards, but they do reference auras. So that's interesting. I actually would have thought that, like, traumatize would be mm-hmm. here too because <laughs> that seems like something i think that's just a case of like people not knowing the tech the tech for everybody is you traumatize yourself and put half your library into your graveyard and then you attack and you put a bunch of these auras on your commander and you kill someone it seems like a lot of people are just happy with saving mana costs on their battle mastery or whatever yeah. <laughs> which is not the most powerful thing you can be doing no definitely so it's interesting the the signature cards like we said are just a bunch of auras battle mastery is the number one. Oh, actually sorry th- three dreams is here too that's number two mm-hmm. this is pretty much exactly what i expected to see it's pretty straightforward yeah yeah we can move on to the next one so coming in at number four we have afara god of the polis with 605 decks and the way people are building Afara is pretty unique. There's uh, a lot of like self-bouncing creatures, creatures that can blink themselves, creatures with flash. This is sort of like flash tribal-ish. Yeah. Tends to be how, how people are building her. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. I like that Fairy Artisans is here. That's like really cute yeah. and good. Some of these cards are probably a little bit... I wouldn't go this ham on the, like, flash creatures. Yeah, some of these definitely seem like they're on the weak side. Because, yeah. like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool that with, you know, Void Mage, Hushar, or whatever, you can draw a card, like, multiple cards per round of turns. Yeah. But the downside of that is that some of those cards you draw are going to be cards like Void Mage, Hushar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, um, I, I like the White Light Main Lion or the Stone Cloaker tech, like... Those are both good, like, creature. Like, I, you can do tech with both of them individually. That's pretty interesting. But, like, when you get into the extra... Like, once you're playing Deputy of Acquittals mm-hmm. and, like, a few other of those just, like, like selfless squire, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of... What's the point of drawing that card? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, there. I think that they're definitely like definitely flashing in an alms collector, like drawing another card and then like drawing another card from like screwing over someone mm-hmm. with alms. Like like that's definitely like a cool play to make. But like playing a salt skitter that flickers when another creature enters doesn't really seem yeah. worth it. <laughs> I know. So, eh. uh, you'll you'll definitely have a lot of cards in hand. I can't really vouch for the quality of those yeah. cards. Yeah. Yeah, not if you just follow the EDA Trek recommendations. Yeah. Uh, next card is Noyandar Royal Shaper, um, with just under 600 decks. Noyandar animates lands, and that is basically what you see out of the signature cards. Yeah. There's a lot of... Uh, there's Terra Eternal, all lands are destructible. There's some indestructible lands, like Darksteel Citadel, Cascading Cataracts, cards with Awaken... Yeah, cards that destroy all non-land permanents. Yeah, that's, that's a good a, one. That's pretty cool, or bounce all non-land permanents. One-sided wrath. I, I expected to see a decent amount of these creatures here. There's some of them that I think are getting buffed by the algorithm like we talked about mm-hmm. before. I don't know if you need as many cards with Awaken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being that that's your commander does that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can run any instant or sorcery and... Awaken a land as opposed to the ones they printed for us. Yeah. My guess in that case, like with Scatter to the Winds or whatever, yeah, uh, would just be that it's it can be nice to, to be able to like further your game plan without your commander being on the battlefield when he like costs five and doesn't protect himself that well. Yeah, I guess that's true. Tower and Sky Summoner is also in the signature cards, which is kind of like a similar vein as your commander. Mm-hmm. I think that is kind of what's going on here. Like, I'm surprised he ranked as highly as he did because oh. <laughs> it seems so incredibly risky. Like, if you do not have the Terra Eternal on the battlefield, yeah. like, board wipes are just so common in this format. Yeah, I'm, the, the one benefit is you can just, like, build up one land. So that's something, like, goofy you can do is you can cast a bunch of spells and end up with, like, a 12-12. Or something like that. Yeah, I guess that's what Darksteel Citadel and Cascade and Cataract. Yeah, you don't need to spread out the turn all your lands into three threes when you cast instants and sorceries. All right, there are two of the remaining cards in the top ten that I, I want to discuss kind of at the same time because they mm-hmm. strike me as very similar. So they are Geist of Saint Traft with five hundred and sixty four decks, and Daxos of Miletus with yeah. four hundred and fifty six decks. Yep. So Geist of Saint Traft. The signature cards are things like Steel of the Godhead, Aqueous Form, Umazawa's Jite, Stoneforge, Open the Armory, Hammer of Nizan, Spirit Mantle. There's a couple just random spirits and <laughs> and like counter spells in the signature cards, but it mostly is like auras and equipment and equipment enablers for like a sort of Voltrani build. And then if you look at Daxos of Miletus. The cards aren't exactly the same, but the category of yeah, cards is pretty similar. It, it's a very similar game plan. It's a lot of auras and unblockable and equipment. I don't know if I love using these two guys as Voltron commanders. It yeah. doesn't fully make sense to me. Like There are four characteristics that really matter for Voltron commanders. That's haste, a high like power-to-cost ratio some form of protection, and some form of evasion. Geist of St. Traft, okay, it's sweet that he has Hexproof, so he can be, like, protected from spot removal and feel just messing with your commander. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really have anything else going for him. Yeah. <laughs> and then Daxos, like, he's got a slight 
form of evasion, which he can't be blocked by very large creatures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that doesn't really stop him from getting chump blocked by Lanoir elves and his sec rolling tokens. Yeah, and his like uh, triggered ability, his combat damage ability doesn't really matter because what exactly do you want to cast out of your opponent's deck? Yeah, Voltron is like a pretty specific game plan, and there aren't a lot of random value cards that you want to augment it. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. Like, I think people saw efficient bodies. Also, Geist's Angel doesn't deal commander damage. Yeah. Just a little, little reminder. Aware, yeah. A little reminder. It's, it's still its own Angel. She's doing her thing. She's not dealing commander damage. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that I think people... Specifically with Geist, I think they saw how strong he was in constructed and mm -hmm. or is in constructed formats like a uh, like modern and legacy. There's just uh, multiple Bant Spirits decks where it, the last GP in Prague or something. I think to date this podcast a little bit. So like people see how strong he is as a card and then put it make a commander around it. Or Daxos, like I think that's it's kind of what you said. It's kind of like this misguided idea of like oh I'll build. Voltron, and then if I don't want to cast any of these cards, I'll cast this like yeah this extra layer where the nuance is kind of lost of like wait 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 but you why why would you do that yeah I I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but I think that a cheap Voltron commander with at least two of those four characteristics might be something that's missing from this yeah. color identity that clearly people are trying to build if you could just convince all these Daxos and Geist players to move over <laughs> to this new better option than it'd yeah. be like you know within the top two or three decks yeah because I mean obviously like you you've heard in the last few podcasts and you're gonna keep hearing it as we go through this series like Voltron is very popular mm -hmm. people like Voltron commanders but there's like a difference between like a good Voltron commander and like forcing the whoever it is to like hold all these swords and get in there i think part of the reason geist is so popular is that not only did just people see it did well in constructed but i think people really like the play style of the geist deck in constructed i think they yeah. like this idea of like i'm gonna get this really undercosted threat down early and then i'm gonna hold up like counter spells and vapor snag. oh vapor snag. yeah yeah, yeah yeah they, they just really <laughs> like that i'm gonna have i have this threat that I can get down super early and then I'm going to hold up all my mana and all the answers and just deal with anyone that could mess with this. Yeah. <laughs> I think people like that. It's just a shame that we don't have a commander that does that, that scales better to commander. Uh, also on the top 10 is Dragonlord or Jutai. People give it vigilance and then it seems like it's just kind of a value deck like that. Like yeah. there's some Voltron aspects in it. Like there's some swords and the signature cards, but for the most part, like if you look at the top cards, it's like, Swords to plowshares, like counter spells, cyclonic rift path, like factor fiction. It's like draw spells, disallow, like it's that same kind of play style. Yeah, and so. I, and I think that honestly, people would be happier with like a cheaper yeah commander than mm -hmm. with Ojutai. No, I definitely agree. I think that Ojutai is probably better than like Daxos. Yeah, if you're trying to do that, but. I also think that there's room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, we skipped over one. Hannah Ship's Navigator, coming in at 509 decks. 
Hannah is a pretty unique commander. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is a lot of pillow fort here. <laughs> yeah. You've got Propaganda, Sphere of Safety, and Ghostly Prison all within the, the top 10 signature Ooh, cards. Ooh, hello. This deck, when built correctly, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, it's really crazy. There's all these unusual cards that find a home in this deck that don't really go anywhere else. Hannah definitely has a lot of unusual cards. It's pretty cool that you can have your O Stone or your yeah. Neverneural's <laughs> Disc back whenever you like. Yeah, it's it's interesting looking at these like top cards and stuff compared to like the first ever Hannah deck I saw built was a friend of ours who has like pretty off the wall ideas sometimes. And he was like, oh, Hannah Ships Navigator, so I can run all these cumulative upkeep cards. <laughs> and like played all the really heinous like color hosers and things that like are really absurd that like don't normally stick around that long but mm -hmm. just like they you just get them back <laughs> there's there's a lot of sweet tech in hannah and i'm surprised that we're not seeing them represented in the signature cards like there are few decks that can break the symmetry on Zer's weirding quite as well as yeah. hannah ships navigator yeah it's pretty nuts that like that is oh god the amount of games that have been slowed to a crawl by that car. Oh, <laughs> uh, guys. I think we're going to end up seeing Pillow Fort a decent amount going through this, especially in the colors that we're going to hit today. Mm -hmm. um, there's one other color that people like. Yeah. People like their Pillow to build Fort. In that way, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. To round out the top 10, we've got Sig River Guide at 375 decks. You can tell it's sort of dropping off here in terms yeah. of like, the popularity <laughs> the way people tend to build sig is unsurprisingly tribal merfolk mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, despite the fact that protection he offers merfolk isn't especially useful or efficient yeah and white is also not the the best color yeah when, <laughs> to when, pair yeah once you get past like your stony brook school master and your summon the school like there are very few white cards like white merfolk that you would really care about running I actually can't think of any. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Mirror Entity. Oh, yeah. Mirror, Mirror Entity, <laughs> this, that's the one. All right. So any other commanders in white-blue that you think are, are worth pointing out? I'm glad and saddened to see Rasputin Dreamweaver represented. Like a, a, It's in the top 20, I guess. Mm -hmm. I miss that guy, but uh, when you're $170... Yeah. It just kind of makes it hard to build a deck around you. Yeah, no, I have a friend with a Rasputin Dreammover deck, and it's very interesting. Yeah, they play really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, like there's, like a white-blue ramp deck is fairly unique. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. The other ones that are here that are, I don't really want to talk about in particular, but I just want to touch on are like, Madomai the Ageless has some interesting, like, two-card combos with it, so I, I figured that would have been more popular. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's kind of it. Yeah. There's not really too many other white-blue. It kind of drops off in quality mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty steeply after that. Um, I'm also really surprised to see Kangi Airy Keeper as high up at number 13. Yes. I think people, like, it's... There are good birds. Yeah. And there are good bird token producers. It's just a shame that the only commander available, like, costs seven mana to do anything at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. But, yeah, I think we can talk about what the general overarching theme is. What were the holes you kind of noticed? 
cheap Voltron commander. That was the first. Yeah. I think the popularity of Kangi, despite her terrible like cost-to-effect ratio, is something that indicates that maybe there's room for just a better bird tribal commander. Yes, definitely. And then I really think that tribal spirits... That's actually one I was going to say, too. ...deserves a commander. Because we've had two trips to Innistrad, and there's been plenty of other spirits in those colors printed interesting ones yeah and a lot recently too i would say like there's some interesting ones within the last like three years yeah so i think that that would be a great opportunity to design to and potentially create a new archetype it's surprising to me that like we had two trips to innistrad and it's very heavily structured around these five factions and they still... Still didn't give us the spirit, Commander. <laughs> yeah. In terms of actual sets on Innistrad, only one of them has produced, like, a an adequate-ish tribal commander. Yeah, which is so strange. Like, I, I actually feel like that's really strange. And even on the return, when people were like, where's the werewolf? And then they gave us... Ulrich. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm, maybe please take him back. Uh, no, I know he has fans. I'm sorry to all of you out there. Um, he's does, not, he, does, does he? He's not good. <laughs> there, there are people who tolerate him so they yeah. can do what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's actually kind of the point I want to get to about Azorius here and that will come up again in this series as it has in the last few episodes, that people are just kind of tolerating, using what they have to do what they want here. So, mm-hmm. like, Kangi is a perfect example of yeah. that. And then, like, the Pillow Fort stuff, like, we haven't really had a commander that actually, like... I, well, is there a commander that rewards you for pillow forting? Not rewards you for pillow forting. There are certainly those that support it. Once we get to the three-color commander. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. There's forgot a Scottish-inspired dude <laughs> from Legends. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... But for the, the most part, it, like, the fact that people keep forcing pillow fort onto commanders, or maybe they just... Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's just a part of players' psychology. Like, new players like to try to not lose. Yeah. So that's something we just kind of have to contend with. And I guess it wouldn't be a bad idea to design a commander that can capture all of that energy and keep it from spilling out and yeah, that, that, I guess, causing them to misbuild other commanders. Yeah, that's kind of the the point I, I kind of want to make is that if they were to print especially like a white-blue commander that like rewards you for pillow fort somehow, like then we'd stop getting... You get like all this. Just some sort of like riff on Azor's elocutors. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like just something that gets people to... Like, that's the actual place you want to play all these cards, not, like, Guafahisi. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Like, I feel like that needs a place because people just force it so many places. And to be fair, I'm not sure if people are forcing it because they like it or because it doesn't exist yet. Like, would people, even if that commander existed, would people still put Pillow Fort into their other commanders? I, I think yes, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm inclined to say no. I like that. <laughs> Maybe people will, but they won't be sig- like statistically significant. Before Yuriko got printed, like people would build Vela as ninjas, and yeah. I'm sure there were a couple other people who would like do their Una ninjas or whatever. <laughs> like maybe one or two people, but really, a people tend to concentrate around one idea. Ideas get spread around, yeah, 
and people like come to know, oh, Vela is the best thing to a ninja commander we have to date. So I I'm inclined to think that it'll um, keep the bad thought from infecting <laughs> other decks. Yeah, so I guess we're moving on to Rakdos. Yeah. Yeah, so who do you think is the most popular Rakdos commander? Uh, my guess would be Rakdos. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's Rakdos Lord of Riots with 1339, uh, so 1,339 decks. Can you guess how people build him? <laughs> uh, does he have friends from Zendikar? Yeah, he has some gigantic colorless creatures, and then there's like a plethora these days. They've been printing like every other set, like a red three drop that pings everyone. Mm-hmm like taps to ping everyone and maybe untaps for some reason yeah that's been a thing for like a few years now design staple yeah and uh so you got a few of those in here cryptolith fragment which is actually great as i had this deck for a little while and this was years ago cryptolith like a, is seems like one of the best cards in the deck yeah because one of the problems is that it's even when you can trigger him when you can deal a damage to an opponent and like get to cast him you still need two red and two black on turn two yeah. turn four so cryptolith fragment is like pretty nice in that it does both of those things mm -hmm. <laughs> like right there it fixes your mana and gives you the life yeah i feel like rectus must have a really unique mana base because you just can't <laughs> run anything that doesn't produce colored mana yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that if we look down at the land section here, like, oh, wow, yeah, no, it's pretty much just all dual lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Piranha Marsh? I, I, I could get behind that. Piranha Marsh? I could get behind Piranha Marsh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I still think that you just with the main deck cards, you'll be fine. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't know. I, I like the idea of just, like, you know, offloading important effects onto lands as much as you can. Oh, yeah, no, that, that definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this is... Exactly what I expected. I, yeah. I actually... Um, I would expect to see Soul Ring in fewer Rakdos decks. Yes, that, that's one of them. And then also, I guess, the one thing that actually didn't... That is counter to expectation is that the actual, like, legendary Eldrazi aren't here. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at the signature cards, like, it's uh, Desolation Twins and, and Void Winnower, which mm -hmm. I would definitely play Void Winnower. Mm -hmm. But, like... Why, why do you think the legendary Eldrazi aren't present? Hmm. Well, in this economy, <laughs> it that betrays us here. Yeah, it, not even in the... No, no, Ulamog Ceaseless Hunger is in the creature section. But he's the cheapest he's one. The, uh, is he the cheapest one? Oh, he was for a long time. Oh, because he... New Kozilek, I think, is cheapest nowadays. Yeah. But no, but... Ulamog was Ceaseless Hunger for a long time after bfc I, I kept looking at him and like i don't understand why this is like seven dollars yeah no i picked some of them up and then uh, tron figured out that exiling two permanents is pretty good yeah but yeah i mean that that's the one thing i would say is that it's interesting that within the signature cards we don't see more fat like blightsteel classes mm -hmm. and stuff like that but more or less it's what it's like the archetype is represented that's exactly what i thought it was going to be people yeah. build around him Next we have Olivia Voldaren, and 84.5% of these decks are Tribal Vampire. Whoa, yeah, signature cards, um, mostly vampires. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. Do you think uh, Olivia is a good Tribal Vampire commander? Mm, not, not the best. You know? Not, not my fave. I might agree with that. <laughs> I don't like making other cards into your tribe of interest. 
with Olivia mobilized for war, like, I don't actually have to run any vampires in this tribal vampire decks because any creature in my deck can become a vampire. Yeah. And ditto with this Olivia, like, I don't really need that many vampires because whatever the best creature on the board is... <laughs> it's a vampire It's now. a vampire and it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think that some of the tribal rewards are kind of what, like, Anwan is uh, pretty good yeah in this deck like stuff like that but i don't think you need to run blood lord of uh here's another issue is like i am so certain that so many of these people who had these olivia tribal vampire lists switched over to edgar as soon as he was released yeah or like built or like built edgar decks but all those olivia decks are still in these databases they weren't deleted they were usually just like copied yeah (laughs) If there is, like, a, a huge shift in what players are actually playing uh, away from one specific commander to another specific commander, the databases aren't going to be good at showing that. There's not really a marker for that. So I wouldn't be too surprised if, like, in terms of actually reflecting the format, mm-hmm. Olivia's, Olivia Voldaren is much lower on yeah, the list. Yeah, and yeah, now that Vampires has a thing, definitely. Alright, uh, next commander we've got is Mogus, God of Slaughter, with 786 decks. He does represent an archetype that people are interested in playing in these colors. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, you may have noticed a common theme among these signature cards. It's things like Sulfuric Vortex, and Havoc Festival, and Painful Quandary, Mana Barbs, Harsh Mentor, Blood Chief Ascension, Furnace of Wrath. Wound reflection, oh, polluted bonds. bonds. Yeah. So, a lot, lot, lot of cards that just deal damage to sometimes just your opponents, sometimes everyone. Mm-hmm. This is an archetype that people have kind of done for a long time. I want to double check. No, he is here. He's in the top ten. So, uh, Karavek kind of was this for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. I saw like a lot of Karavek decks like back when I started playing commander yeah. when there is a lot less of these guys i like, remember that in like the early yeah 20 teens yeah and um he kind of like housed a lot of these kind of cards that like gave your opponent like some choices they probably don't want to make but they could make a choice anyway like stuff like that just like punishing effects um if your opponent doesn't do this they do this or if this doesn't happen bad thing happens like and then wizards printed another commander that was three mana cheaper and indestructible and had more power. I wonder if before Neheb the Worthy was printed, whether a lot more of these signature cards were tribal Minotaur, because there were people oh, using him as the head for that deck. That is silly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I know. I know they're not even using the type line. They're just going off the art. Yeah, that's that's a next level of, like... Of, Misguided yeah. deck building. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the next deck is really... A sweet one. Yeah, really right. It's Grenzo Dungeon Warden. Uh, 712 decks. And uh, Grenzo is, like, this incredibly customizable commander that does something that, like, no one else does. Like, no one does it like this, at mm-hmm. least. Like, there are reanimation decks and stuff, but this isn't really reanimation. When, like, one of your signature cards is Teljalad Stylus, like, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Like, there's only, like... Like, one other deck I've seen that 
can reasonably run that card. I know, like the the signature cards in this deck are so bizarre. You've got They're Epitaph, so Golem, Rado Lantern, Junk Troller, Teljalad Stylus, uh, Crystal Ball, yeah. which is cute. Yeah, that's great. This card is very good when you can put it on the bottom. This card would be so much less interesting if he picked him off the top, but oh, picking yeah. him off the bottom is like you've got to like do gatherer searches that you would never do before. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like, there's some pretty interesting things. I'm upset that it looks like most people just combo with him. It looks like the... Like, in the signature cards, you have both Zealous Conscript and Kiki Jiki. Ah, uh, whatever. That's fine. I'll uh, allow it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's cute that both uh, Priest of Gix and Priest of Urbrask are present. Yeah, in the t yeah that is really funny. Yeah, it's just free. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, free roll it. That is actually really cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, this deck is really cool like you get a bunch of cool etbs you got some like graveyard synergies flare the hate bound is really good in this deck if you Ooh, yeah if you build it like um so x is four and that's the other thing about this commander is that you can pick like you can make x is three and kind of optimize around that that way you can activate them like twice the next turn yeah we so, had a friend who had an, an x is two grenzo and an x is zero grenzo yeah <laughs> and that completely changes how the deck builds it's very customizable, a lot of strange or unusual signature cards. Mm -hmm. I think this is a very cool card that um, adds a lot to the format. And it's not an obvious archetype by any means. Yeah. Like, I think only top-down design can get you cards like this. Because nobody would think backwards from, what is red-black missing? And get to Grenzo Dungeon Warden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely like, gave people a cool angle to build around. In the same way that this is kind of a, the next one's kind of a newer commander that gave people a builder, and I, I don't know how good good it is, but it's the Scorpion God. Mm -hmm. um, so this is black red minus one minus one counters, which is kind of a thing people like. Shadowmore and Eventide had mm -hmm. a minus one minus one counter theme that was very centered in red black. So there's a lot of like cool old cards from there. Other sets, obviously, Excars and. Almancat have had some things that tools that go here. I mean, obviously Almancat because Scorpion God's here. But I don't know. This was also pretty much exactly what I thought. Yeah, I was gonna see. It's crazy how much weaker it is than Hapatra. Oh yeah, it's insane. The five mana investment and the fact that like three mana to put a counter on something versus zero mana <laughs> to get a snit. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, hitting them and putting the counter on. It. Yeah, yeah and, and also just like the reward. Like, draw a card is such a... We've talked about this before. It's a very functional reward, but mm -hmm. it doesn't... You can't really build around it. Whereas Hapatra, like, half the deck was just building around the snakes and figuring out yeah. what you can do with these Death Touch snakes. I, I don't think it's super busted or fast. Or, I think that just by the nature of them being five is not going to be super good just because you have to get to five mana before you can start really taking off. Yeah, and also just the fact that it's like, Paying three for one minus one minus one counter, that's such a terrible rate. Like, I'm going to pay X, 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 where X is target creature's toughness. Yeah. In order to kill it and draw one card. Yeah. Like, this is, you're not even in a ramp color. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, I don't know how many of you have played a red-black deck out there, but it's, uh, it's pretty hard to get a decent amount of mana fast in red-black, because artifacts can only go so far and then if they get blown up which is like all the time you're pretty much screwed yeah <laughs> so it's it's not a big mana black red deck which i think is why rakdos is so popular is because you get to do a lot of that big mana stuff mm -hmm. but 
Yeah, Scorpion God. Uh, definitely an archetype people, I think, wanted, so he definitely fills a niche. Olivia mobilized for war with 412 decks. So the signature cards here, there is a lot of discard outlets and a lot of vampires, vampire tribal. Overall, I think that she's not great commander, and I think she's a missed opportunity. I think that there's definitely room for a discard outlet commander in red black yeah because oh yeah there are some cool madness cards there's some great graveyard synergies mm -hmm. but the problem with olivia is that the trigger is kind of difficult to pull off yeah you need like a cheap creature that can trigger her ability but still leave you with enough mana left over that you can pay the madness cost yeah like what olivia really needed is just like discard a card do this or maybe even like pay one mana discard a card do this. Something that you can really control so that you can manage things whenever you want instead of sorcery speed on your turn. Yeah. <laughs> like, With a bunch of mana that you might not have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think that that is all true. I think that she represents an archetype that I agree with you with, like, is really cool and, like, should exist and, like, just isn't quite getting there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they thought they were making a vampire commander. But they aren't. It's who? opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems to me like she's not a vampire commander. It's like trinket text because of, based on her like last card. But yeah. like, and it, and it has the, the the effect that I was talking about earlier, which is just like you don't need to run vampires in this deck, even even with your vampire tribal deck, because yeah. <laughs> anything you want can become a vampire. Again, like, the tribal vampire angles is probably not correct. Sorry, just more on, like, oh, yeah. her inadequacy as a discard outlet. Like, if you look at the signature cards, a bunch of them are themselves discard outlets. Yeah. <laughs> which tells you that, okay, clearly Olivia isn't pulling her weight if you have to run, like, Call the Bloodline and yeah. Key to the City and Cathartic Reunion just to ensure that you can actually do the madness synergies and graveyard synergies yeah. that you want to do. Can anyone guess what this deck is going to look like? It's Neheb the Worthy. With 367 decks. What card type do you think <laughs> is going to be in here? Uh, let's see, he's a warrior, so perhaps... <laughs> Over 60% of these decks are tr Tribal Minotaur, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, look, you get to play Didgeridoo. Didgeridoo is in signature cards, Yeah. Um, so that's fun. Wizard said a little while back, I don't know if this is still their policy, but that they were planning to make it so that every block had a little bit of tribal. Mm -hmm. And for Theros block, they chose Minotaurs to focus that little bit of tribal on. Yeah, but they did it bad. Yeah, A, they did it bad, because like every single Minotaur is like a 2-3. Yeah. It's <laughs> just a very bizarre stat combo. I definitely agree. And also, like I feel that when they do tribal things, it's best off when they're doing something that's more backwards compatible yeah yes yeah yeah like for example tribal warriors in cons of tarkir well warriors have been printed since the beginning of the game but with the exception of homelands basically there's been so few relevant minotaurs anywhere it's cool that minotaurs are a big part of your setting but minotaurs are not a big part of magic yeah so you're just making something insular and it's hard really hard to build a good deck when most of your cards are kind of just like draft fodder yeah. from a single block. No, totally. They, Minotaurs really needed like a big fat. Like they really needed like something that makes you feel good to didgeridoo into play or yeah. something like that. And 
Instead, they went low to the ground aggro. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, there are some big fat minotaurs in, like, Boros. There's that, like, (laughs) seven-cost one. Yeah, and they're not bad if you cheat them into play, too, is the other thing. Like, the one that controls combat and stuff. Yeah. They're, like, pretty alright, so it's funny. But, like, just looking at these minotaurs, the average CMC is, like, four. So you get, you, you pay one mana for your didgeridoo, and then you pay three mana to get a four drop into play and it's like yes <laughs> yeah power overwhelming oh, the value sweet sweet value and also um tribute that's a fun mechanic everyone remember <laughs> that and some nice tribute cards in God. this tribe i think like tribal minotaur is fine they just need to actually like give it something I think, like yeah something. i think they just Okay, I, I don't think it was a great idea in the first place. I feel like we should just scrap the oh yeah, I Minotaur mean, yeah, tribal yeah. and just sweep it under the rug. But if we have to continue along this line, then what Minotaurs need are just cards that are powerful in their own right. Yeah, they just need some bombs, like yeah. some good cards that are Minotaurs. I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point where there's enough Minotaur tribal effects that you can have a deck... <laughs> That you can have a deck like Edgar, where every card is like a lord. Yeah. <laughs> but just maybe good cards that won't hurt you to run them, and then just let your commander's tribal effect get you there. Another thing to note about Neheb the Worthy, that I'm surprised we didn't get more of in the signature cards, is that he's, an, he's a discard outlet and yeah. a way to force discard from your opponents. In the signature cards, the only way that's represented is a single, is like waste not. But again, his discard outlet is limited like Olivia in that it's only happening on your turn yeah, when you in a very damage. specific way. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty narrow. So both Olivia and Neheb like, don't really give you what you need in terms of a discard outlet. And I think that I would love, love, love to see, hopefully in, hopefully in like this new Ravnica block, a Rakdos discard outlet commander that just makes it very easy and very simple. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure that deck could be very interesting if you just have the right commander. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. The next deck is Karavik. So all these signature <laughs> cards are the same as Mogus. So let's yeah, not they, talk about this. Yeah, they're all the same. Mogus like is said. in fact one of the signature cards. Of this yeah, deck. so we kind of mentioned before Mogus kind of usurped uh, Karavik at one point in time. So we don't really need to bring up specifics about this archetype. Um, but the next one is a. Uh, Kind of more narrow archetype. I don't think I've ever seen this before. Yes. 100% of Wart Boggart Auntie decks are Tribal Goblin. That's all 278, baby. Yeah. Even with Azuri, it was only like 97.2 yeah. or something <laughs> like that. The signature cards are exactly what you would expect. It's 14 cards that either are goblins or mention goblins in the text box or both. Yeah. Um, I think people were really excited that they got to run like Mad Auntie. Uh, Goblin Recruiter. Bogart Mob yes. is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Frog Tosser. Banneret. Frog Tosser, yeah, that's a sweet yeah. One. People like when they can mix goofy colors into their their tribal decks, so I think that actually is kind of a good idea when yeah, it says that. It's a shame that Krenko was printed because Wart was like a really st- strong, fair Goblin tribal commander. Yeah. Like, yeah, really strong. Yeah, she, she was yeah. good, but like, but not unbeatable. And it still takes a little bit of time for Wart to rebuild. She yeah. has a built-in mechanism to do it, mm-hmm. but you got to wait a little bit. Yeah. Whereas with Krenko, it's just he doesn't care at all. Yeah, he gives no, he just, like spits, he like, <laughs> and then like gets back in the the red zone. Yeah, it's a more fair version of Krenko. A lot of the 
overlap in the cards they run. It's a pretty cool deck. Yeah. Last commander in the top ten is Malfigor. <laughs> Signature cards are mostly like discard effects, wheel effects, things that care about discard. There's like some Hellbent stuff some, going on. Yeah, Hellbent stuff. I think it's pretty sweet that Sire of Insanity is in 80% of these <laughs> decks. Convincing more people to play Sire of Insanity and of the power of Sire of Insanity is great. Malfagor is definitely doing a public service there. Yeah, that card is so nuts. Arcfiend of Ifnir is kind of weird in this deck because you're already they're already sacking their creatures. But like Runeborn Hellkite is like oh, pretty sweet for this deck. Mm-hmm. This is actually kind of interesting. So, of the 220 Malfagor decks, almost half of them have been made since Almonkhet. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I guess they just figured you got... what, But then you'd think you'd see more Almonkhet cards in the top. Yeah, there's a Gear the Per Ori, which makes the signature sense. cards. Like, Gear Per Ori's in the signature cards, which yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty cute. I think the red-black had a sharper drop-off than most color yes. combinations. Yeah, which we'll get to in a moment. <laughs> like, really, after the top four, it dropped straight to 429, which is, like, where most color identities are at, at, like, 11. Yeah, at, like, 11 and 12 commanders, yeah. There's, like, two other commanders I just want to touch on briefly, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. uh, so one is Lizolda the Brood Witch, or the Blood Witch, sorry, at Aquatine Hunger Force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think she's a very cool commander, and I'm surprised that she's not more popular. These colors are awesome for sack fodder. Yeah. But with all those black, like, re self-recurring creatures and all those red, cheap goblin producers. So, and she has a way to, like, convert them in, either into board control or card advantage. Mm -hmm. So I think she's great, and I'm surprised that she's so far down the rankings with 173 decks. Yeah, yeah, that's one... Rakdos the Defiler, I think it's people get scared. They see the text box and they fear him mm -hmm. when you must embrace the chaos. <laughs> oh, right. Here's yeah. an interesting data point. So Rakdos the Defiler, um, over 60% of these decks are demon tribal, which definitely tells you that, yeah, it tells you something. that people are interested in playing demon tribal. He is the closest thing at offer <laughs> in the sense that like he doesn't count your demons when making you sack a bunch of permanents, <laughs> um, which certainly feels demonic. Yeah. <laughs> All of the signature cards are demons. Also, interestingly, 12 of those 14 cards are just mono black. So it definitely implies that demon tribal probably should just be mono black. I've seen a lot of really cool mono-black demon tribal ideas, mm -hmm. so I, I think that that is probably the best color for it, and like, so you get to run Master of Cruelties if you're black-red. Yeah, like, or Malfagor, yeah. but that's it. Oh, I guess Sire of Insanity. Oh, Sire of... Okay, I'll yeah. accept black-red demons. Uh, is there any other commander you want to talk about, or do you want to go on to what the color pair needs? The thing that's like strikingly absent from uh, red-black mm -hmm. is kind of the... Text box creatures you control have haste, and I know you're gonna at me. Just kidding. Um, about like Garna and Dragonlord Colgon, mm -hmm. but that's not that's not what I mean. <laughs> like that like that line of text should be on so many more of these creatures. Like Exava almost yeah got there. She was so close. Mm -hmm. Like creatures with counters have hate. Like oh almost yeah almost buddy. But like 
didn't quite get didn't there. quite get there and that's kind of a shame i think that that is something that could just kind of go onto cards i agree i think that it's one of red's major advantages in this format is that red doesn't have to just put a card on the battlefield and then wait an entire round of turns to see if anyone yeah. messes with it and then sweet and now i get my attack trigger or whatever yeah i think that that is a great way to just make red better in commander is just throw those six words other creatures yeah. you control have haste onto as many commanders as possible because it it doesn't break anything it doesn't break anything it's not you're not going to combo off with that line of text yeah it just makes the color better and that's really what red needs yeah. it's a perfectly in color way to make it stronger relative to the yeah. unholy triumvirate of blue <laughs> black and green i think that uh Given that Sire of Insanity exists and is awesome, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Black Red Demons makes perfect sense, preferably in a way that like doesn't destroy all your lands and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some way to reward demons that actually yep. builds up positively. Um and it also doesn't help that Rakdos the Defiler has seven power and it's like uh oh, Yeah, might as well just hit him. Yeah. And yeah, and has a devastating combat damage trigger. It's yeah. like what well, why do I even care about this Archfiend of Ifnir or whatever? Like, I'm just going to annihilate their permanent. I'm just going to give them double strike. Yeah. <laughs> and then annihilate their permanence while murdering them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I think a better Demon Tribal Commander, a more thoughtful one than, than Rakdos, who kind of just got backdoored into it. I would really, really love a discard outlet commander. Just a cheap discard outlet. Yeah. Cheap, simple discard outlet commander, please. Like, a two or three cost commander that had haste and rummaged yeah in black red that's pretty close to <laughs> all you need i think a another sack outlet commander maybe to complement lizolda i don't know i think she's good maybe i just need to build her and be proven wrong i think we can move on to the next one pretty safely okay. um the next one is gruel hmm. and the number one gruel commander is uh, omnath locus of rage with 2243 decks Wow, so it makes sense looking at this that this is the most popular deck, and it's probably my sample size, just my like within my life. But I would have thought Borbergmus Enraged would have been like higher up mm -hmm. on this, or like if not number one, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, it might also relate to the fact that Omnath is sort of at a confluence of a couple different themes we've had in the past. Oh yeah, yeah. So like five power creatures from Naya, mm -hmm. Elemental Tribal. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's actually a good point. Landfall stuff, which doesn't really synergize with Borbor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely true. Actually, yeah, people love Landfall so people much. People do love Landfall. They love Landfall so much. So yeah, I mean that, and you see all of these things when you look at the signature cards. You see like where Ancient Stred is here, like. Mana ramp, just like Harrow, Blended Reclamation is here, like the the, the fetch land, so Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds <laughs> are in the signature cards, nice. which is pretty goofy. And then on top of that, you have actually less elemental, I would have thought there'd be some elemental travel, but it's just like Warstorm Surge, like Zendikar's Royal, things that make elementals, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Because there's some sweet tech for everybody at home that I don't see here. To me, when I think of... Green red Omnath, I think of Tempt with Vengeance, because mm -hmm. you it's just you get to a certain point and it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, like there's just no getting around it, and it, that is hilarious. Mm -hmm. The number two commander also 
made a lot of sense to me. It's a Xenagos God of Revels. Mm -hmm. This deck is pretty nuts, and you don't really have to do too much to, like, get there. Like, obviously, fast mana is good. That's just, I feel like I shouldn't ever have to say that ever. Yeah. To get your, like, big fats out. But then when your big fats are, like, one shots or, like, two-shot machines, like, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Do you know what really, really surprised me about the signature cards? Zero infect creatures. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that so bizarre? Yeah, no, that actually is bizarre. Like, yeah. there's no Putrefax, there's no Phyrexian Hydra, there's no Phyrexian Juggernaut. Yeah, and, that and is I, weird. And I wonder if it's just, like, community perception of poison, but it's like, is there really a difference between targeting Malignus with your Senegos yeah. <laughs> and targeting Putrefax? Uh, the answer is no. Yeah. The answer is no, everybody. And, the, and like, some of the signature cards... Are, are things I would really not. Oh yeah, there's be some big playing. fatties on here that I don't agree with at all. Like, who cares about Thunderfoot Bayloth? Like, sure, it's a seven-seven yeah. that pumps the other guys, but I'm not going wide in yeah. the Zenigos deck. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, th yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's also like a Spellbreaker Behemoth, which like, what are you doing? I know ten damage is not what you should be aiming for with your Xenagos deck. No, definitely. I do like the Blood Mist. There's some, like, double strike things here. Mm -hmm. And also Chandra's Ignition. It made me laugh pretty hard. <laughs> nice. Like, you're like, all right, like, I hit that guy for a bunch, and now I wrath and deal this much to all of you. Dude. Like, screw everybody. <laughs> I mean, other than some notable absences, I think this deck looks like what you would think it does. Yeah. It definitely feels the same archetype, even if the signature cards aren't quite what we thought they were going to be. Next, we have Rurkthar the Unbowed and Prepare to be Underwhelmed, Zach. Oh, yeah. Wow, I'm like... It's gross, isn't it? I don't even understand. So Rurkthar comes in with 718 decks, so he's the third most popular rule commander. And the signature cards, let me just read out a couple of these <laughs> for you. Elvish Mystic, Llanowar Elves... Reclamation Sage, Acidic Slime, Terastodon, Somberwald Sage, Gruel Rage Beast, Soul of the Harvest. Is there a theme that you are noticing among these these signature cards? These are just cards you play in your green decks. It's interesting that they're all green except for the red green cards. Yeah. It's it's not that surprising in the sense of like how would you build around them? I guess you give them lifelink. Yeah. But and in fact, and in fact, that's you good give them too. effects, and then they can't cast more than one sp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy that people are just using him as a good stuff commander, and that a good stuff deck is so popular. Yeah, oh man, that is really interesting. It kind of makes sense thinking about like all of the. I've seen a few Rukdar decks, and like thinking really hard about them, they kind of all were this. In essence, like, they they built around it a little bit more, Yeah, I would say. Like, definitely, like, the lifelink. Just the fact that just uh, Loxodon Warhammer isn't in the signature cards mm -hmm. is kind of weird. Or, like, Basilisk Scholar. It's so little investment of mana yes. to just be, like, okay, I'm, you know, up to 60. Yeah, yeah, you just play one card, so it's very strange. Also did not expect Primal Surge to be in the signature cards. Yeah, that was sweet. You're not running, like, instants and sorceries in a Rogue Thor deck, so might as well run your Primal Surge. Yeah. Low opportunity cost. Yeah. So uh, I want to mention one thing about this. So there is the next uh, number four is Wart the Raid Mother with 700 decks, and Wart is an instant and sorcery deck, and I just want to say that uh, 
There's another deck that's kind of in this vein on the top ten, that so we don't have to talk to it later. later. It's uh, Rushing Meander. Mm -hmm. I had a friend make Rushing Meander, which uh, adds four, but only for X spells. And then realized that, oh, I should just run Wart, because what's better than adding four is just doubling everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that is pretty much what Wart does. Is it takes all, like, the signature cards, you have, like, Comet Storm... Um, there, you have... There is much more of a focus on, uh, token generation. Though. Yeah, there is a bunch of token generation, which is pretty interesting. Um, and the Harvest, he said. Oh, well, don't forget about the Denominator. E oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, because there's seven... Oh, I, I mean, that's a third of the decks. Okay, all right. So, have been made, which also is interesting, because, mm -hmm. again, it's like a, there's an upsurge in deck production since Amonkit. Relatively recently, you think she'd have been forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I wonder if this, if we looked at this, this would be a theme, mm -hmm. but um, just across EDHREC. Actually, yeah, that would be fascinating, is just which commanders got the biggest boosts and when. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really interesting. But I mean, like, her top cards are a bunch of ramp cards. Yeah, I, I would have expected more, like, busted instants and sorceries. Like, mm -hmm. there's... There's a decent amount in these colors, like, more so than just, like, artifact mutation. Yeah, whatever. Or the Raid Mother, everybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Alright, moving on to the fifth most popular deck. It is Mina and Dan Wildborn with 541 decks. I don't actually have much to say about this other than that you, you're you not going to be as happy. I mean, maybe you'll be happy playing this deck, but I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Jesus. Look at the... In the signature cards, you've got, like tunneling GOP yeah. and undergrowth champion. Yeah, like, you're scraping the bottom of that barrel yeah, the right there. The problem with Mina and Dan Wildborn is that there aren't enough good landfall triggers. You run out of good landfall triggers before you even get like to the bottom of the signature cards. Yeah, it, which is pretty nuts. That's not okay. Like, I know they're really cool. Their art's really cool. Landfall is cool. Like, the, just please, just do yourself a favor. Mm -hmm. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, don't don't play these guys. If you want to play a landfall deck, you got better options. Yep. Yeah. True. Number six. Yep. <laughs> Number it. six is Ulrich of the Crawling Horde, um, uh, everybody's favorite werewolf commander, and uh, signature cards. <laughs> <laughs> They're all werewolves or cards that mention werewolves. Yep. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that this is a good deck? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you want some constructive criticism, I actually have a werewolf, a design for a werewolf commander that would probably be a lot better for this deck than Orc of the Crowlin Horde. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm into it. So three red-green for a 5-5 five, five haste menace. Other werewolves you control have haste. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may transform any number of target werewolves you control. The way I see it, the like unique element of werewolves is they all have a built-in anthem, really. Yeah. Almost all of them have power and toughness on the werewolf side that's double to that of the regular side. So really for a commander, all you need is something that prevents them from reverting back yeah. to their human side. Ulrich, in his current form, intentionally designed to not boost werewolves, so there's not a whole lot of reason to build yeah, a they, werewolf they deck. They kind of made him so that he was just a good limited bum, and that's not usually a sign of a good commander. The rationale was just made you want to pull your hair out. 
They said that they wanted to make him as broadly useful as possible. <laughs> so that he could you could build as many decks around him as possible, like not understanding how commander actually works, which is if a commander doesn't give you a specific direction, he's going to default to good stuff, yeah. which is very bad for the format. Yeah, sad. Poor guy. Also, uh, notable top creatures, you see Huntmaster of the Fells, but uh, signature spells you do not. That's weird. I would imagine that's a price thing. It's only like seven bucks now. Like, uh, it's not. It well, it be. might be that it was a price thing oh, when the majority the, of the decks oh, were designed. Oh man. Okay, yeah, here's so interesting. We can we can move on to the next commander. Uh, yeah. So it is Borborygmos Enraged. Um, four hundred seventy-one decks, which is. Honestly, like, vastly less mm -hmm. than I thought they were going to be. And the signature cards are exactly what I thought they were going to be, for the most part. It's, like, a bunch of green spells that put card, like, lands into your hand. Like, Groundskeeper is here. And then you have Creeping Renaissance, Life from Loam, Praetor's Council, which kind of... Storm Cauldron. Does the same thing. Storm Cauldron, everybody. That's sweet one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then Splendid Reclamation to, like, get some advantage out. Illusionist Bracers is also there. That's pretty good. Naturally. And it's uh, not as hard to use in this deck as others, because you just end up with so much mana. That can be a problem, just like it's pretty expensive to put Illusionist Bracers yeah, on something. Yeah, five mana before you like start getting value off of it yeah. is a lot when your commander is cheap, but when but when you're guaranteed to have at least eight mana, yeah, <laughs> you're not... probably fine. And, and the activation is free. Yeah. So like you pay five and then just like ditch four cards and deal like a bunch of damage. I don't know, is there anything you want to say about this? Any absences or not, anything not, interesting? Not really. Uh, I'm okay to move on to the next one, which I think is a bit more interesting. Yes. Uh, the next one is Atarka World Render. So Atarka uh, is a very, very good uh, Voltron commander and kills you very fast. And how are people building her? I assume that they are building her in that way? Um, you know, you would think so, but um, there's just a bunch of dragons here. Mm -hmm. This is a dragon pile. Welcome to Dragon Zone. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of dragons. I mean, yes, yes, I'm going to concede. Atarka does say, whenever a dragon you control attacks, that is true. <laughs> the, but, but, Atarka also is a flying commander with double strike. With, like, I mean, and six power to start. You can Berserker, you can Fatal Frenzy, you can use a Xenagos. Yeah. Can, there are just so many ways to turn this into a one-shot. Why would you ever waste your time with Utvara Hellkite or Hellkite Charger when your commander does everything you need? Crucible you... of Fire, oh. it's not enough. The Crucible of Fire is so worthless in this deck because yeah. it doesn't increase your clock. The only thing you want is a way to get Atarka from killing in two hits to killing in one hit. Mm -hmm. And plus three, plus three does not get it you there. It doesn't do it. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Just so... toss that out, throw in an overblaze, <laughs> and you're going to be much happier. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that I don't know. I guess that surprised me, um, mm -hmm. but not really, I guess, knowing how the world works. Um, the next one's Roshin. I don't really want to talk too much about Roshin. Bunch of expels, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I don't really care about Thromok either, which yeah, is Thromoc pretty straightforward. Yeah, is also very straightforward. Um, I looked at this before. <laughs> it's like a bunch of token producers and uh, like weird other like Soul's Fire and Fling and stuff like that. Token um, producers and cards that 
care Abuse about power. having an extremely large creature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, uh, who would have thought? So, I mean, in general, um, like at one point in time, I would have thought that Gruul had a lot going for it. But after doing this and going through it, I actually think that Gruul's a lot more like anemic than I initially Kind of just my general perception, not actually ever thinking about it was. Yeah, no, I mean, this has been a great exercise for just getting our perceptions in line with reality. And it is a shame that just looking at the top 10 decks, Rurkthar, number three is good stuff. Mina and Den doesn't really actually have enough cards to yeah. exist as a deck. Yeah. Ulrich of the Kralin Horde yeah. is a sick joke. A lot of these cards that are like taking up the top slots in Gruul Commanders are just not super viable or interesting decks. No, yeah, and then there's not like there's a bunch of decks lower down that could have filled, like, these niches. Like, there's a bunch of basically vanilla legendary, like, legends commanders mm -hmm. lower down, um, and not really many more past the top ten, uh, which actually is interesting. Like, Gruul has a very similar amount uh, compared to it now. Where is it they, like, beefed up over the last few years? I think, like, Gruul is gonna need the same kind of thing. Because there are, like, multiple different archetypes that you can build um, with your Gruul synergies. Tell, tell so, me what some of those archetypes might be. So, I mean, the first one, the, the one that they really just need to do is they need to, like, actually make a landfall commander that's not just Omneth that is other things. Right now, the best thing and, like, the quickest way I was thinking of is that if your commander is the landfall trigger, like, on Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. That, I, that's, that's what, what I, you meant. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So you can run Mina and Den, and you can run Azusa, and you can get all the landfall triggers without, like, being... Meaning to stretch to, like, undergrowth champion. Yeah, exactly. So you, you can feel like you're, like, doing the landfall thing or getting some benefit out of it. And honestly, that would just be, like, some cheap thing. Like, if it was, like... A cheap commander with a decent landfall trigger. Yeah. That would be fine. And I think people Ty would be really Tireless happy. Tireless Tracker as a commander would actually be totally yeah, fine. Would be really cool. Um, I think that there is kind of more room for tokens, which I I thought that there would have been that here. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that a lot of it was like Naya or Partners, or I was thinking of like Tana the Bloodsower. And I think we have Grand Warlord Rada now, but she's not super popular. Well, to, it, give her some time. Give yeah. her some time. All these Rada Heir to Keld decks should be switching over to yeah. Grand Warlord Rada. Yeah. So that, that's something that I saw that was kind of glaring, is that there's no like obvious token commander also. Uh, I, I'm willing to bet that a year from today, Grand Warlords crack, crack the top ten. I think she can beat out Throwmock. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think she's better than Thromach. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. But that, those are, like, the holes that I kind of, like, immediately felt. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what you're thinking of. I was just thinking uh, Werewolf Tribal, and then I thought that Hydra Tribal, the right oh, command. Oh, yeah. I think there are enough Hydras in these colors, and you just need the right commander. Like, a Corpse Jack Menace, but just for Hydras mm -hmm. would probably do the trick since that's like a pretty consistent mechanical element of hydras is using plus plus one counters yeah is there a way to build around the fact that hydras are zero zeros uh probably we'll get, we'll get to that later. yeah that would be pretty cool put a pin in that put a pin in the, yeah moving on to the next color identity yep We've got Orzov. Yeah, so Orzov. A lot of surprises here. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, a lot. 
Aetherios God of Passage is number one with uh, 1,230 decks. Although, I would like to point out that almost a third of these 1,200 decks are Shadowborn Apostle lists. Yes, which like... Definitely skews things. Yeah, it's kind of the um, Marinar problem we had before. Yeah, so taken... He just happens to be the best uh, Shadowborn commander. If yeah. you take that out of the equation, then he drops down to like the fifth most popular Orzhov yes, commander. But but uh, honestly, like I guess I wasn't really trying to do a Relentless Rats thing, so I've never really thought about like who would be the best Shadowborn Apostle commander. Yeah, and this does make sense for that. Like I, I do see why this is kind of communally the agreed upon commander for this in some regard. Yeah, but I like Shirei more for it. Yeah, no, I, I would have thought Shirei was the one off the top of my head, like yeah. if you would ask me, but I, I understand why people are rebuilding this guy. Because you get, um, within the signature cards, there's also Immortal Servitude, mm -hmm. which is pretty sweet. Basically, it's X, uh, hybrid white, black, three times. So four mana to get all your Shadowborn Apostles back. Yeah. And you got, I guess you got Return to the Ranks. Yeah, there's um, there's a few cool things. But it also could be like a card knowledge issue. Innistrad saw a huge surge in players, and then Theros was not too long after that. So yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people like getting into that format around the time Athreos was very visible, as opposed to Shirei is a relatively obscure commander from an extremely unpopular yeah. set. <laughs> from 15 years ago or so. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see why people might not be aware of Shirei or might not gravitate to Shirei Gra Yeah, much. gravitate to him. Yeah, definitely. Theris was, there's a big boom uh, for the listeners out there. There's a, a very large boom, like resurgence of people learning to play Magic again around Innistrad and Theris blocks. So you'll, especially if you go to card shops a lot, you'll meet a lot of people that they're like, yeah, Theros was my first set, or Innistrad was my first set that I've been playing since or then. Or RTR. Right or there. RTR, yeah, right there. Um, there's like a huge wave of people, and a lot of people playing now, you probably maybe are one of them, have those cards as like a baseline. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I think card knowledge is something that just comes with time. Yeah. Uh, I also think that people didn't like obsessively gather or search as much as I did when I like got back in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Anyone is serious about updating their card knowledge you should probably read all of gatherer at least once yeah <laughs> that's my tip to you yeah i used to get off class and like be waiting for a bus at uh college and i would just go and gather and click the random card button mm -hmm. and just like that was i would just do that so you end up seeing like a bunch of goofy things and some cool things too like it, it still does that you still see cool cards every now yeah <laughs> back in the day they put out printed encyclopedias of magic cards and i had this one that was like you know, an inch and a half thick, <laughs> everything through Apocalypse. That's so cool. And I would just read it over and over. <laughs> yes, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, nostalgia. I know. So I guess one of the things I feel about Atheris is that, I mean, obviously sack outlets and stuff like that, but it, it's just like a grindy... Like, what do you... I have never liked Atheris. Yeah, I mean, I... I... And I'm very surprised that he's... This the high. most popular, yeah. Yeah, I also don't like Atreus, <laughs> so I'm kind of like stretching to figure out like if I was gonna not just Shadowborn Apostle, what I would do. Yeah, you'd have to like make like a loop that. Yeah, you just have to loop creatures a bunch of times before you start getting to the. But then the problem is like, 
usually most of the loops you can set up, returning the creature to your hand would be more disruptive. Yeah, than so just getting the loop. back. I mean, maybe I'm just dumb. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe like <laughs> maybe there's something about Atheos I'm not getting, but it just everything about it seems very bad. Yeah. And I, like giving your opponents choices, like seems really hard to set up a loop where like they couldn't disrupt it by just putting the creature back in your hand. Yeah. I also I, I guess it's just value. That's like the only way I kind of thought of it up till this point. And like I've definitely played against someone who had an Atheris deck and it only mattered like the last like two turns mm -hmm. because then everyone was at like eight. Yeah. And but we... like up until that point all their their stuff like did not really impact the game. Yeah. They were just affecting these numbers yeah. that determine whether you're alive or dead. Yeah. Like that like, like that's I think I've said this before on the podcast, but like the reason life is the worst resource is because it doesn't actually impact your ability to do anything in the way that like you have more mana, you can do more things. You have more cards, you have more options yeah. for what you can do with your mana. Yeah. But like life is just, it's, it's grafted on to the real structure of the game and it just gives you a way to know whether you're dead or not. Yeah. I don't think people like... I know there's lots of numbers with life, but life is actually binary. Like, you either have it or you don't. And so, like, yes, you can mess around with the numbers and fill with them all you want, but, like, you either are alive or you're not. Like, there's not there's not multiple states to it. Yeah. You're not like, oh, I'm kind of dead right now, but, you know, I'm going to gain three life. and Like, that doesn't... That's You're either dead, you lost, or you're alive. So, like, having a commander who solely impacts that number, unless they're doing it in a massive way, like Heartless Hitetsugu levels yes. of damage, yeah. <laughs> it's not a great use of your time. It's not what you really should be focusing yeah. on. Especially when, collectively, in a four-player game, your opponents have 120 life. Yeah, you have, you to, have get, to get through. You have to get 40 Athreos triggers to kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. So if someone has like a cool Atheris tech, please like email us or something. Yeah, send us a message on <laughs> Tumblr. Sometimes I'll come to EDRTrack to see what like obvious things I've missed, but obviously that's not the case with Atheris. I feel like I'm being gaslighted. Do you ever see that episode of 30 Rock where they talk about Leap Day and all the like yeah. celebrations and traditions of Leap Day? And it's yeah. like, well, you know how the Amish feel about Leap Day. Yeah. <laughs> and it just makes you feel like you're going crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're the only one who has no knowledge of this thing. Yeah. That's how I feel looking at Athreos being the number one Orzhov commander. <laughs> I just, it's really like throwing my confidence as a commander player for yeah. a loop. <laughs> The next ones all make more sense, though. This one? Uh... Somewhat. I mean, they don't make sense in their positioning, but, like, their deck construction yeah, makes more sure. sense. Okay, so, Ailey, we're not going to talk about it very long, and part of the reason we're not going to talk about it <laughs> is there are exactly three signature cards, and you may remember from the beginning of this podcast episode we mentioned more signature cards means more differentiation, means your, your own archetype. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's only three signature cards in this deck, which tells me, and one of them is, like, Really from, new from Ixalan, so that's not a great indicator. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically it's Tree of Perdition. Your signature card is Tree of Perdition. Yeah. So <laughs> Ailey, it's pretty safe to say that it's just a good stuff commander, and it's God. 
Orzov is, I thought Orzov was fine, but seeing like Athreos in number one and a good stuff deck in number two. Yeah, it kind of does. Wow, that's disheartening. Yeah. Yeah, the next deck is fine. So it's Karlov of the Ghost Council, and this one actually does have a ton of signature cards. It's all a bunch of Soul Wardens and similar things that gain you you a a small amount of life very often. Yeah, very easily and often. Because as you know, Karlov gets bigger when you gain life. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the, that's the gist of the gameplay with him. You like play your Karlov, you gain some life, you kill someone. Yep. Probably if I racked my brain, I could think of some cards that should be in the signature cards here. Uh, maybe you have one, but it's it's more or less like the signature cards are like the Soul Warden. Maybe like Archangel of Thune. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, that's a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, it's got most of the classics here. Pristine Talisman makes an appearance, hey buddy. Yeah, not not a whole lot to talk yeah, about. There's the really... rest of Karlov. The next commander, I think, has oh, we have a few things to talk about. I got so a lot rather, of opinions about this guy. I'd rather get to him than dwell on Karlov. Yeah, so Daxos the Returned is number four with 1,074 decks. He does have a fair number of signature cards. They're just a whole bunch of enchantments and enchantress effects. Mesa Enchantress is number one, Sigil Empty Throne, Doomwake Giant, and then you've got some like more defensive type stuff. You've got Karmic Justice, Sphere of Safety, just generally good enchantments, Grasp of Fate, Aura of Silence, Banishing Light, Seal mm-hmm. of Cleansing. Yeah, it's cool. Extinguish All Hope is here and Crystal Chimes are here. Yeah. The one thing to note is like there is a lack of black cards. There's three black cards here. Mm-hmm. So I think that... Which they... is kind of surprising because black does have great enchantments. <laughs> yeah. But it could be that like a lot of good black enchantments, everyone knows they're good. And so like Phyrexian Arena and Daxos doesn't differentiate it from all the other decks ranked. <laughs> I'm surprised that he's so high up because my experience with him is that he's not very good. No, he's not very good. I, I agree. The problem with Daxos is it just requires so much mana. Like, just looking at the card, it seems kind of cheap, but, like, the fact that, like, it's a cast trigger for the enchantments really doesn't help you. Because it's like, first you have to cast, <laughs> cast your Daxos, yeah. and then you have to spend more mana on an enchantment, and then you have to spend more mana to make a spirit based on your experience. So, you know, assuming, like, your enchantment is, like, three mana, it's nine mana before you get a 1-1 one, one spirit. Yeah, which is and you're you're not bad. in ramp colors, yeah. you don't have any way to really like make that pill a little bit easier to swallow. Yes. So if this is obviously something people want to build around. It just kind of sucks that this is the only thing. They're like, "Nah, not this scrap that wizards left behind." Yeah. Oh, here's here's a surprising one. I'm surprised we didn't see a uh, thought render Lamia in the signature cards. Yeah, that is actually really interesting cuz I don't think there's another I don't think there's another commander that creates enchantment that can abuse it that well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. All right, moving on to the next one, who is probably my favorite out of the top five, at least. Yeah. Um, Tesa Orzov Scion. So I don't agree 100% with how people are building her. I really dislike the aristocrats archetype. I don't think that's a real ping for one at a time. Is, in commander is bad in, is very bad in commander yeah so like zulaport cutthroat is uh in 70 percent of the the taste of decks created since it since its inception yeah i don't think that's yeah what should be doing yeah i think it's like a lot of taste of decks end up as combo like you get your value 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 until you get your darkest hour in combo but yeah i mean that's that's definitely the card like you your tokens die and give you another token 
And that seems to be what people are doing. Like a lot of like death triggers, sack outlets, stuff like that. I do agree that that kind of like small draining is not worth it. But I do think that comboing with blasting station does kill someone. I'm a little surprised that attrition is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I actually am too. I'm trying to like... Maybe if I go down far enough. But like it's not in the signature cards. It's not in the top cards. And it's... A hugely important card. Okay, here we go. Only 15% of Tesa decks are running Attrition. That seems wild to me. Yeah, no, that that card is very good. Yeah. That's like if you have a commander that makes tokens and is in black, that seems like something you ought to be doing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, for the most part, like, I understand, like, the build that people are doing. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what I can say here. Like, it seems like a lot of cards that I've seen before. All right, I want to breeze through most of the, the remaining top 10 Orzhov commanders. Coming in at number six is Combal Console of Allocation with 666 decks. Oh! Ooh. Signature cards in Combal is a lot of, like, draining, it looks like. We've got Painful Quandary, Polluted Bonds, Cliffhaven Vampire, um, Blind Obedience, Norn's Annex, also Ghostly Prison. It seems like people are trying to latch on to the... He does a little bit of damage a lot of times. Yeah. But that doesn't seem very good. Yeah, Campbell's not, like, two life. So he's, like, a very, very tiny Rorkthar, but, Mm -hmm. like, draining two life is nowhere near as good as dealing six damage. Yeah, dealing six damage, (laughs) six hits versus 20 hits is a huge difference. Yeah, that's, that's gigantic. Yeah. So even, even if your opponent is going off, like, are they? Like, yeah. how many games do you gain, like, 20 life off of your Campbell? Like, just ask yourself that question. I'm surprised that the signature cards don't include, like, life gain rewards. Yeah. Uh, like, a uh, Well of Lost Dreams or something like that. Yeah, no, I actually also feel the same way. Oh, Next commander. There's Okay, there's, like, three more I'm going to talk about in rapid succession, and you'll see why in a second. So the first is Obzidat Ghost Council with 525 decks. And this has three signature cards in it. Kamball, Debt to the Deathless, and Sanguine Bond. So it's a good stuff deck. Yeah. Next, we've got Tesa Envoy of Ghosts, which has, with 406 decks, and she has zero signature cards. <laughs> so it's just a good stuff deck. And then finally, we have Vishkal Blood Arbiter, who has three signature cards. So again, basically just a good stuff deck. The only remaining commander in the top 10 that I think is actually a little bit interesting is the combo of Timna the Weaver oh, yeah. and Ravo Soultender. And the reason I, and although like, I think these two are a little bit good stuffy, the reason it's interesting is because half of the decks are Cleric Tribal. Oh. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So the signature cards, all of them are Clerics or mentioned Clerics. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So. Oh, they both are clerics. Yeah. I never have made that connection ever until this moment. Yeah. So what that tells me is that people are clearly very interested in building cleric tribal. And even though Timna and Ravos don't incentivize it, (laughs) they are powerful. Yeah, they're very strong. 
Given that we've exhausted yeah. all the interesting commanders, do you want to talk about what the holes in Orzhov might be? Yeah, so um, I thought that there was more to Orzhov than there currently is. Mm -hmm. I think you could have like a tribal spirits deck that would be pretty cool. I also think you could do... I, d I did a little research on tribal spirits, and I am not certain it actually oh, needs black. gets there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's totally fair. I think that having like... Like, a, basically, like, a punishment commander that does something. So, like, something, like, Tesa and Campbell don't actually, like, do anything. I think if there's a commander that, like, made it... So, when you do something, you do X, and this happens to opponents, even if it's, like, a very minor thing. As I a, see. As opposed to, like, something you could build around. So, like, let's say, what if Campbell was, like, whenever you cast a like a two cmc spell each opponent drains one or yeah something. No, i definitely hate that two of the top 10 commanders are just purely reactive yeah like kambal and tesa both give the power to your opponents to yeah. decide if they do anything yeah it's, it's pretty heinous which i think is why they're so good stuffy and there's so few signature cards because yeah. like when you can't control when anything happens like what do you do? I guess you do good stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of true with the rest of the things. I think that we kind of have some interesting space with Triad of Fates as a blink commander, but it's just not really there. Um, I think that's something it's, that... It's just so weak. It's so weak. It is so weak. And Having to, like, tap twice to blink one thing. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that there there's definitely a lot of holes. And this is just, like, shooting from the hip, like, after just kind of looking at this like a lot of these commanders have been printed very recently which is very similar to is it but unlike is it where they were looking for the holes to fill i feel like a lot of these just were happenstance yeah i think the holes in orzov are less obvious yeah the, the one that stands out to me just based on that like looking at timna and rabos is okay clearly we need a cleric tribal commander but we have like pretty solid commanders for some of the other things that are to be expected in black white like we have a solid life gain commander in Karlov. We have a like small creature sacrifice deck with Tesa or Zob Scion. Yeah. Maybe something that would be interesting would be playing in the space of Teshar or Alesha. Like, yeah. like with Alesha, the red was just the body was red, but the ability was black white. Yeah. So maybe a black white like small creature either small cmc or small power mm -hmm. reanimator commander i think there's definitely room for that because there are a lot of powerful weenies in these colors yeah definitely all right i'm ready to move on to the last of the two color commanders or yeah. two color uh, two color pairs yeah it's the simic commanders okay so Ooh. our number one simic commander is a zuri claw of progress with uh, 1945 decks maybe Maybe, just maybe, you can imagine what the first signature card is. <laughs> um, it's Sage of Hours. So this is, like, this deck in particular looked a lot, like, the signature cards looked kind of similar to what I would imagine them being. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's funny, because, like, Gyre Sage has been in the deck for a long time. Like, that's one of the one of the cards you put into this deck. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that, like, really quickly people are, like, doubling up there's a signature card that probably doesn't deserve to be here quite yet. It's Marwin the Nurturer, mm -hmm. but it does a very similar thing. It's not, like, what you really think of when you think of, like, blue-green color identity. Yeah. But people really latched onto it, and I think, I guess the, there's something to be said about that play style. I think it's enticing to people. I think people like, like, how it feels to have their, 
little value dorks become actual threats. Mm -hmm. It's pretty pretty cool. Next we have Crufix, God of Horizons. Yeah. Uh, coming in at 1,363 decks. Yes, not too many signature cards here, um, but they do do more or less exactly what you, what would you think. They draw cards and they make mana. The, a lot of like mana sinks. Yeah, mana sinks. And um, cards that generate a lot of mana. Yeah, not anything too crazy going on there. I'm surprised doubling cube isn't uh, in a larger proportion of decks. Yeah, no, I actually think that too. Like, Dublin Cube is very good, and uh, I'm sad more people realize that, and now it's a lot of money. <laughs> but more or less this deck, it seems like, is a lot of control aspects with some of the things we mentioned above, like card draw, mana production, you got some counter spells, and then you end the game somehow with either fad or combo or something. Yeah. Next we've got Rashmi, Eternity's Crafter. Rashmi uh, is one of those commanders that works well with cards that are already good. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the signature cards are things like Sensei's Divining Top, Brainstorm, Future Sight, Treasure Cruise, Leyline of Anticipation, yeah. <laughs> Vidalcan Orrery, Mystical Tutor. So these are all cards that are, like, pretty close to staples in their own right, and she just kind of makes the good cards better. You don't really need much to make top a good card. Yeah. It's already a good card. <laughs> so next is Edric, Spymaster of Trust, with uh, 1,087 decks. I'm actually kind of surprised. It's crazy that Rashmi came out, oh, what, like maybe two years ago? Two years ago, I think, yeah. And has 1,200 decks, has already like surpassed Edric, who we think of as like one of the... Yeah, one of the standout blue-green mm -hmm. guys. So you know that zany, zany Edric, Spymaster... All them signature cards, they're all those flying men. Mm -hmm. Look at all these flying men, everybody. I know. These cards that like harangue, that people harangue me over during <laughs> every set review. <laughs> like, you forgot Gadul Lurker. Yeah. Where's Slitherblade? Where, where's Miss Cloak, Harold? <laughs> that, that's good in this deck. Um, yeah, I, the other signature card which I like laughed really hard about was Beastmaster Ascension. Mm. Um that is how you end the game with this deck. You draw a bunch of cards, maybe take extra turns, and then and then you, you win. It's very fast. Yeah. If anyone has seen a well-tuned Edric deck, it's just a machine, and it wins very hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to the, the next commander, we've got Voral of the Hulkblade with 800 decks. And it's just a lot of different cards that have counters. There's a lot of plus one plus one counters. There's also... Charge counters on things like Overflowing Chalice, Astral Cornucopia. Some people like to use Dark Steel Reactor as mm -hmm. a win condition. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty standard Voral deck. Yeah, one of the things I want to say about Voral is that, like, he's so slow. Mm -hmm. He is like, very slow. He's very slow. Like, you look at Voral and you're like, whoa, double? And you, you think about, like, oh, and then I can double the counters on this thing. And you... you get really excited and then it just never goes the way you want it to yeah like doubling like let's say you have a ever-flowing chalice that you paid four mana for so it starts with two counters so like you spend two mana and double it and okay now you have four counters but you spent two to make two for that turn so mm -hmm. that turn you're neutral next turn you get plus two mana and it's like voral has to survive for so long and mm -hmm. you have to pump mm -hmm. so much mana into him 
like in order to really have an impact because most of the most of these cards that use counters like don't gain them at a really fast rate or don't start off with yeah. a lot of them yeah there's very few cards that just start with like a large number of counters like um you kind of have to get them somewhere before you doubling actually has a very large impact mm -hmm. um but yeah I get, that is the top five moving on i don't know if there's much well we've got momir big say, which yeah. is the signature cards are all just blue green creatures essentially so yeah. you can get both of his triggers I'm actually surprised that, so like when we started playing like years and years and years ago, this card was like the blight on the format, mm -hmm. like one of the blights on the format, because you, um, tutor multiple times every turn, you tutor multiple times every turn, and then you just, it was so easy to combo, because you actually ran one or two of the cards that change color words, mm -hmm. and you change, uh, whenever you cast a blue creature draw a card to green mm -hmm. so you just go you basically cast a green creature get a green creature yeah and you just keep going and you go and go and then you win so it like still does that it yeah looks like people are leaning way more into the uh no i had a friend who built that aspect. combo deck so you run a bunch of mana dorks because hey they help you get your momir vig down sooner and then the the fun thing about mana dorks is that they're all druids yeah <laughs> and so you just go mana dork mana dork mana more mana dork and then you go into... Um, oh, Guiltly Farchdruid, yeah. yeah, and Steel Lands. Uh, are you ready to move on to the next one? Yes. Our next commander is Prime Speaker Zagana, another lead of the Simic. And this also, like, I just expected to see more of. I, I've seen a lot of these decks over the years. Mm. Um, what are the signature cards? <laughs> so there is uh, one signature card. It's Deadeye Navigator. <laughs> it's in 57% of the decks. So, um, is it fair to say that this is just disgusting good stuff? Yeah, this is disgusting good stuff. And you know what? I would have said that. Mm -hmm. Top cards are just Cyclonic Rift, Eternal Witness, Cultivate, like, Acidic Slime, Beast Within. Like, these are just, like, good cards. Mm -hmm. So, you just play some good cards and some creatures and draw cards. And then you play more good cards and draw cards. It's just, it's, yeah, it's pretty yeah. bad. All right, next we've got Crufix and Thrasios, that partner pair. Seems like the signature cards are just ways to draw cards efficiently, ways to go combo with yeah. Kidley. So it's... if you if you can draw like four or more cards in a turn, then you can stick an Umbral Mantle on her, stick a Sword of the Parents on her, and just kind of go to town. But yeah, there's actually like a decent amount of signature cards here, which a lot of these Simic Commanders don't have. Yeah. So, hey, good job, you two. Doing great. Uh, next we've got Experiment Kraz, who also has a fair share of signature cards. Yes. So this deck also is, like, awesome. I know so many, like, Johnny players who are like, yeah, like, Experiment Kraz, I'd put, play this, 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 this. He reminds me of Gave. Uh, yeah, well, but then, um, they think about the deck and then they don't actually build it because they're like, I know what this'll do. Mm -hmm. And then they never actually build the deck. <laughs> Um, but yeah, totally reminds me of the same kind of... It's just like a perfect thing. machine. Like, yeah. You don't really want to devote a whole lot of slots to interaction or good stuff because there's just... There exist 60 cards that will help further your game plan. Yeah, I like how Line of Reborn is one of the cards. Yeah. And the signature cards is pretty red. Pilapala, your best friend. They're like... Him and Kraj are like, oh yeah, the Scarecrow and the Ooze is my next children book. Um... <laughs> And then the next one, I think, is a sign that we've hit, we've hit some kind of roadblock. Yeah. 
it tells me something about what the people want. Yeah, it's the voice yeah. of the people right here. Yeah. So number ten of the Simic Commanders is uh, Kasato Orochi Archmage. So sixty-eight percent of these decks are Tribal Snake. I'm actually surprised it's only sixty-eight. I know. That's so interesting. Like, um, what else is there to do with him? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Because you can give yourself. So you could pump. You could spend a bunch of mana and pump it and but have a bad Voltron. That seems not good. Yeah. I don't really know what else you'd do with this. Uh, the signature cards are all snakes or cards that make snakes. Care about snakes. The the funniest one I think is uh, Ambush Viper. That's oh that's, wow, that's yeah. uh, pretty much the one of the funniest things I've seen as we've been doing this. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Um, top cards are snakes and good stuff. So you got your like Bidenathasa, but like the signature cards in particular are just snakes. It's a lot of the um, Kamigawa block snakes. You got an Oren Viper. I hate that they misled people with this design. Yeah, it's really heinous. Like, Wizards has a big responsibility every time they print a card that's clearly aimed at Commander. Yeah. Like, there is a promise in this text box, which is that if you throw a bunch of snakes in a deck, it will be good. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's a lie. Yeah, they're lying to you, everybody. I'm sorry if we're breaking this news to you. I think that was the reason I was most pissed originally when this came out, is because it was like they spent a slot on this. Like, they could have made a green-blue snake commander and I would have been fine with it, mm-hmm. but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretending to add a deck to the format, but it doesn't actually fulfill its promise. Yeah, it's like, just not good. Is there Are there any other blue-green commanders you want to touch on? Or No, I mean, to... the only one I really want to mention is Kumena. Um, so Kumena, uh, as you might imagine... Uh, has a decent amount of merfolk in the signature cards. I'm double-checking. They're all merfolk, every single one. Mm-hmm. That's the only one. Uh, the rest of them are kind of value or don't do a lot or really new. So, like, Pure and Toothy are new, and I think we'll just get more deckless over time. Yeah. Prosimic, again, like, a lot more anemic than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense. I kind of knew in, like, my heart that Simic, like, not thinking about it, I knew that Simic just mostly had good stuff commanders. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, combo into good stuff, and we kind of see that here. Yeah. Like, how many of these commanders just draw cards for very little... Investment? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you got your Rashmi, Momir Vig, Prime Speaker, Tishana, yeah. <laughs> Tatiova. That's the messed up thing about Blue Green is, like, the hoops that they make you jump through are just so large. Like, what deck isn't going to be playing lands or casting spells? Yeah. <laughs> or, or or not even anything for Prime Speaker Zagana. Just, like, having a decent-sized creature. Have a creature. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty pretty simple. I think that's why people took to Azuri like they did those. They wanted to play this color identity, and this offered something interesting for them to build around because mm-hmm. i i know that like i had wanted to build a blue green deck for a really long time and just like all these nothing. options were pretty gross yeah they were pretty pretty gross and i never really thought about like what that meant <laughs> yeah until until recently like why why is it that like i don't want to build blue green oh like they haven't expanded what this color identity can do what this like this kind of color pair does into a good commander yet i think blue green is the proof of why we need to fight against good stuff yeah definitely there's a really big drop off on cards from missouri like to crew fix and down past the top five mm-hmm. uh, the deck list like dwindle in number towards more the 
either just combo or good stuffy stuff. And I, I think that... Like, there's a decent contingent of good stuff, but the, yeah. the ones that actually force you to do something are just much more popular and beloved. Well, and that's also been a theme through all the colors, too. Like, the most popular commander in the guilds in particular mm -hmm. is always one that gives you, like, something, like an angle. Yeah. Um, even if it's, like, really minor. Even looking back at Boros with, like, Aurelia, the war leader. Mm -hmm. Like, at least she, like... Has cards that work with her attack triggers. Yeah, and such. yeah. As opposed to just a lot of the other cards and another, or or like like your prime speaker is gonna, like obviously very good, but like that's not. There's no hoop. There's nothing to like do. You just kind of play her. Uh, what what do you think of the missing archetypes in Simic? God, I think there's a lot. I'm trying to think of like an intelligent one that's missing. I think uh, plus one plus one counters in a meaningful way. Like not just like Voral doubling stuff. Pure and Toothy kind of are getting there, they're, they're, but they're kind of pretty broad also, just with counters in general. I think that's something that Blue-Green could like care about without comboing, like Kraj, Experiment Kraj. I think that they could care about like fatties. There could be like a Leviathan commander that's mm -hmm. not like a land for a bunch of turns, like yeah. that actually like mechanically cares about that, and vice versa. I think like this is the color identity that, that could care most about like stats on a creature spell or something like that mm -hmm. that'd be an interesting angle to take it in. like i have two one of them is pretty obvious because we touched on it just tribal snakes oh, yeah. i think they got a re-roll on cassetto yeah they really do i mean people want it now too because this card exists yeah i think that yuriko is a good sign mm -hmm. because vela had been designed specifically to be a ninja tribal commander yeah and like wizards owned up to it and saw like okay this isn't doing the trick this isn't actually what people want and then came back with a much more powerful version it's like hey guys what do you think of this and yeah like, everyone was incredibly happy with it yeah so i'm hoping that they'll be willing to revisit other failed attempts on their part and uh do do what they need to do in order to make the archetype work the other deck that i think might oh. <laughs> exist yeah just going back briefly to what we were talking about Lazav and how people were trying to do Shapeshifter Tribal. So one of the issues with making Shapeshifter Tribal, there are a couple of things that you can hang on to in terms of like mechanical similarities that run throughout most Shapeshifters. Most, but not all, have the Shapeshifter type line. And then almost all of them, like with one or two exceptions, are zero zeros. Like their printed power and toughness is zero zero. One of the issues, unfortunately, with building around the shapeshifter type line is that there aren't enough just shapeshifters to build a deck. Yeah, and then a lot of them change their type, yeah. too. <laughs> so, really, you could only care about the shapeshifter type line if it's in a zone other than the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And, again, like there's, there's only like maybe 10 to 13 shapeshifters with the shapeshifter type. So, yeah. really... You need to find some way that lumps in shapeshifters with something else. Yeah. And I was thinking that just going off of zero toughness would, A, that would incorporate all the shapeshifters, but B, it would incorporate a lot of other interesting cards. Yeah. Like, for example, a lot of hydras are zero zeros and get counters on them. Mm -hmm. So maybe something that, like, decreases the cost of creature cards with power and toughness zero or recurs them from your graveyard, mm -hmm. or returns them to your hand, which would make sense with both clones and with... Uh, yeah, hydras to make them bigger. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That seems like it could be an an archetype 
that could expand the format a little bit. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that like there's a ton of holes here. It makes me really excited to see what they do in the next year. Just hopefully they don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's that's it for now. We've we've done all the guilds now. Yeah, uh, I expect that we'll blaze through the three color pairs pretty quickly. Just giving them a brief overview. There's fewer options. For example, with Obzon, if you discount the partner pairs, there's only six commanders. Yeah, so it'll go pretty quick. Yeah, so I think we can probably get through the three colors in one podcast, maybe even get to the four colors, because, of course, we've got even fewer options there. Yeah, we shall see. Yeah, but uh, that's what you can look forward to, and let us know what you thought, if you think we misinterpreted some of the data, if you have some alternative explanations... If you know of other sources of data, because EDHREC is great, but there's other databases out there that yeah. might be fun to play with. Yeah, definitely. Insight from you guys, too, would be very enlightening. Like mm-hmm. like oh. Athreos, for example. Tell us what's going on yeah. there. Yeah, so please let us know what you think, and it it's kind of interesting to see like what other playgroups or what anecdotal evidence might be dredged up by you guys. So, yeah. Okay, all right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. 